Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Uh, hello and welcome to the program. You are listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Woo. Should be a good show tonight because, yes, we are focused on protecting the backbone of this country, the cornerstone of its, this country, our liberties. And I often focus on the First Amend- Amendment. I love talking about an often forgotten amendment, the Ninth Amendment, of course, the Tenth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment. But we can never forget, we can never, ever forget the freedoms given to us, or at least protected by the Second Amendment and given to us by nature and nature's God. And joining me to talk about this is a gentleman named Michael Cargill. He is, well, a business owner. He owns a local business in Austin, Texas called Central Texas Gunworks. It's a retail store, but also a training facility. Michael's also uh, passionate about music. He has been all over the national news at times. So without further ado, welcome, Michael Cargill. How are you tonight, sir? Outstanding, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to speak to you, and I first want to give you a chance to let the audience and myself, because the first time we're really speaking here on air and getting to know each other, what would you say in a nutshell is your political perspective here in the United States of America? Sure. Well, people need to know that I'm the, an actually African-American gun store owner. I'm actually um, the only gay black gun store owner in the state of, in, well, the state of Texas, probably in the United States uh, for that matter. Which, you know, for folks who are thinking of political parties and the usual, like, categories and lanes we put people in, you are confounding some people's, I think, presumptions. Oh, absolutely. So I, I actually lean uh, Republican. I'm actually conservative. So I'm a black gay gun store that's actually conservative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I love folks like yourself because I love individuals. I like people who are just themselves, who are passionate about what they believe in. So let's start with guns and firearms. When did you first realize, I I want to be passionate about this stuff, not only own a weapon myself, but sell them, teach people how to use them properly? Now, you served in the Army for 12 years, I believe. You're a veteran. Did this passion, though, start before your time in the military? No, actually, it started afterwards. So, okay. yes, you're absolutely correct. I served 12 years in the, in the United States Army. And what got me into the firearm industry is that one day my grandmother decided that at 70 years old, she was going to go to college to get a college degree. My grandmother had only had a high school education. So at 70, she decided she wanted to become a nurse, so she went to college. Well, while my grandmother was traveling from a college library, sitting at a bus stop waiting for a bus to come, a guy came along, mugged her, and raped her. Mm. So I decided at that point I would make sure that every female in my family and everyone in my family had the tools they needed to protect themselves. So this was a very personal decision for you. And so how did you begin that journey of being able to protect yourself and understanding to do this in a responsible, law-abiding manner? 
Absolutely. So what I wanted to do was I actually decided that I was actually going to teach the concealed handgun license. I wanted to, you know, I, I served 12 years in the Army, so I knew everything about firearms. So I decided to take a bunch of courses, learn how to teach, and we actually teach the most concealed handgun license courses out of anyone in the entire state of Texas. And so that's what I did. So I started teaching classes. I opened up a gun store because I wanted my family members to be able to walk into a gun store and feel comfortable and purchase a firearm and actually get the training. I wanted them to know what the laws were because that's very important and know how to handle that firearm. And you know what? And it's actually a great thing that I actually did that because exactly one year ago, it was one year ago, July 29th, uh, my parents were victims of a home invasion. Mm. Uh, Three guys actually spent... 45 minutes to an hour trying to break into my parents' home. And so this was like about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and my parents were sleeping. And so what happened was my dad got up in the middle of the night, and he walked down the hallway to reset the cable box because the cable went out. And so he walked back to the bedroom. When he walked to the bedroom, he heard a little noise in the master bathroom. Hmm. Now, these guys spent three... um, Actually, they spent, you know, 45 minutes to an hour trying to break into my parents' home. So they couldn't get into the first floor without um, breaking a window. They actually took all the screens off the windows of my parents' home. They live in a two-story house. So then once they took all the screens off, they couldn't get into any of the windows. They then went into the, the back patio. They broke into the back patio trying to get into the back door. They couldn't get into the home. So then they broke into my parents' shed. They took everything out of the shed they took a ladder out of the shed and they laid the ladder against the house and they climbed into the second floor of the home well the second floor the master bathroom window was open and so that was the only window that was open so they crawled into the second floor of my parents home and now it's about four o'clock in the morning and this is the time that my my dad was actually walking back to the bedroom mm-hmm. and he heard that noise in the master bathroom well he looked at my mother was laying down sleeping he looked at uh the cat that actually sleeps between my mother and my my dad <laughs> and then the the dog is actually locked up so it's not my mother's not the cat's not the dog so he's wondering who, who's making that noise in the master bathroom so he grabbed his 40 caliber he stepped into the bathroom he looked around the corner there and there's a little light coming through the blind so he looked again and the guy was crawling through the window of my parents master bathroom window from the second floor of their home wow so he fired one single shot, shot him in the face, killed him, dropped him right there. The guy fell back, landed on his back on the roof of the house. He never hit the floor. He never hit the ground. He actually landed on the roof. And so his cell phone, which was the flashlight, dropped in the, in the bathroom. At that time, my mother jumped up. She said, what did you do? And, you know, what happened? And so my dad told her. And so she grabbed the phone. She dialed 911, got the police there. And... You know, and I'm actually glad that I do what I do. I'm glad that I actually trained my, my family and my parents because earlier that day, my parents actually bought a lot of electronics and they decided to put in a new surround system in their home. Well, they actually put all those boxes out by the street. Hmm. And so the guys saw those boxes and figured that that actually can, you know, take advantage of that. And when you look at their cell phone, the cell phone that he dropped in the bathroom, their text messages. Their goal was to break into my parents' home, kill my parents, and, t- and let the other guys inside the home and take what they had. 
Wow. So they weren't just looking for a home that was unoccupied or vacant. They Their plan was to kill whoever was living at your parents' house. And to, Absolutely. Wow. And, and they knew they knew me. They knew that I owned a gun store. They knew my parents had firearms, so I don't know why they chose that house. Wow. So. Well, and it's remarkable to me that this isn't theoretical to you. This isn't uh, idealism to you. This is very practical. It saved your parents' life. Uh, it, we're inspired because of, as you described, the tragic mugging and rape. I. This is um, remarkable to me, Michael. And I want to start here. I'm personally not a, a big gun guy, but I am from born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama. So I've had my experience, you know, with firearms, and I'm not scared of them. I respect them for what they are. Do you think a lot of the conversation around guns in this nation, whether it goes to the level of gun control, it comes from people's, say, ignorance or just having never dealt with firearms, that they're almost scared of these weapons? Absolutely. It's because uh, you fear what you don't know. So if you haven't had any experience with firing a gun, it's a wonderful experience. Um, you know, as long as you're safe with it and you, know, you respect that firearm, you know that, number one, don't point the gun at anyone unless you intend to kill or destroy them. Yes. Uh, keep your finger off the trigger unless you intend <laughs> to pull that trigger. And, you know, don't point the gun at yourself or anyone else. So if you remember those little things right there, then, hey, you know, you, you respect that firearm just like anything else. An automobile, you know, you can, you know, you get an automobile, you disrespect that automobile. You disrespect the motorcycle. You know, you don't have respect for a motorcycle, it will surprise you. It will make you respect it. Yes. Well, and have you found that there are some people who, say, own firearms that haven't taken the time to fully understand and train themselves? And I'd imagine in a situation like your parents were in, if you haven't prepared yourself, you may not react in the best possible way. You'd be surprised what people can do, because I've actually, like I said, I've trained thousands of people. I've been doing this for over 15 years now. I'm actually, I'm actually over almost 50 years old. I'm 48. And so I've been doing this for quite a long time. Okay. I've had a lot of people involved in shootings that have taken my class. Uh, I've had people that barely passed the class involved in the shooting and executed that shot, you know, in the middle of the night, waking up in the, in the middle of the night, you know, perfectly. Because, it, like I tell my students, it takes me five minutes, ten minutes to teach you how to kill someone. That's very easy. I can teach you how to do that. Shooting is a very easy concept. It takes me ten hours or the entire day to teach you how not to pull that firearm out. Right. Exactly. And this, I know they're, we're kind of preaching to the choir with the audience we have here. We have a lot of uh, hunters, uh, gun enthusiasts. I've been invited to come to the range, to go out on people's land. Um, but it's just a reminder to folks to be proficient with your firearm, to respect your firearm. And I worry that there are too many people that are just uh, scared. They almost play up. I'm, I'm remembering there's a guy named Gersh Kunstman who, after the Orlando shooting, very tragic terrorist attack there, went and fired an AR-15 for the first time. Now, Michael, I've fired an AR-15 and... You know, some people might be horrified, especially my left-wing friends, but I had, no pun intended, a blast doing it. It was a lot of fun. It was in a safe environment. It, it was incredible. But Mr. Kunzman wrote this article last year 
And he said it was like a bazooka, and it traumatized him. It was such a, an absurd piece of writing. It almost seemed like a send-up of the gun control folks. Right. When you meet, yeah, Mister, uh, he needs to. What he needs to do is they make a slit and tuck it in, because <laughs> it's not that traumatic. <laughs> well, what do you say to folks that maybe are for gun control, maybe would like to close down your livelihood? Well, you know they're not going to, you know, they're not going to do that because there's no way in the world that people are actually going, especially here in the United States, we're not giving up our firearms. We believe in the Second Amendment. You know why? Because the Second Amendment will defend all of everything in the Constitution. If I can have my firearm, if I can have, you know, as many firearms as I possibly can own, as much ammunition as I can possibly grab, get my hands on, it will defend everything that's in the Constitution. Amen. As Judge Andrew Napolitano said, the Second Amendment is not to own a gun for you to have the right to shoot at deer. It is for you to shoot at tyrants if they take over the government. And that might be inflammatory language to folks, but I was pointing out last night, Michael, that this this, uh, country was founded by subversives against tyrants. And you're right, the Second Amendment is a, a guarantee. Now, we mentioned earlier that you, Michael Cargill, is, again, our guest folks here. You served for 12 years in the United States Army. The hot topic in the news is, of course, the protest and taking a knee during the national anthem. You actually attended Troy State at the time, or Troy University here in Alabama, and you studied criminal justice. I wonder what your take is on all of this going on with the protest and maybe what they stand for, or should you know, are they disrespecting the country? What is your take on all of this? Sure, and people need to know, like I said before, I'm an African-American. I'm a black guy, and I own a gun store. I happen to be gay. <laughs> That's just what I do at night, okay? Right. <laughs> and, and, and absolutely, you have a right, uh, and the Constitution gives you that right to do almost just about anything, freedom of expression. So if you, want, you don't want to take a knee, you want to take the knee, that's up to you. I personally believe in standing up for the national anthem. I personally believe in, I love singing the national anthem. Mm. I can play the national anthem in, with three different instruments because I'm a musician. So, you know, I, I love this country. But it is an individual's right if they want to protest that way. They don't want to take, if they want to take the knee, they can take the knee. They don't want to, they don't have, you know, they don't have to take the knee. You know, but like I said, personally, I believe in supporting this country. I believe in standing up for the national anthem. I believe in singing the national anthem. Now, I also, you know, have to remember that, yes, the, the reason behind this protest goes back to 2016 when Colin Kaepernick said, you know what, you know, there's a problem with police accountability. There's a problem with law enforcement officers who are not being held accountable. There's a problem when you have a guy who's laying on his back in Miami, Florida, with his hands in the air, laying on the ground on his back in the most fetal position that you can possibly put yourself in. And he's telling the police officer, who's a sniper shooter, that the person that's in front of him is his, his patient because he's a caregiver. Yes, yes. And so he's saying, look, please do not hurt him. He's holding a toy truck in his hands. And he's laying on his back as the caregiver with his hands in the air. He can't get any more fetal position than that. And the officer shoots him. 
goes over to him after 20 minutes, goes over to him, handcuffs him, lays him on the ground, and leaves him there. After a few days, they say, oops, we made a mistake. We didn't mean to handcuff him. We didn't mean to shoot him. But you handcuffed him and threw him to the ground, and no one's been held accountable for that. That was a justifiable shooting. And that, we have a problem. We have a problem when you have police organizations that are that are actually policing themselves. You know, and that's a problem. So that, because of that, I support what they're doing. Me personally, I will stand for the anthem. I will salute the anthem. I will put one hand over my heart for the anthem. Uh, but I, I understand what they're doing. And I support what they're doing. Because I truly know that we have a problem in this country. How do you think we can advance this idea of some call it criminal justice reform? I would say just getting back to our basic liberties and rights that are all God-given. And I found that I find that the anthem and protesting during the national anthem, it's such a revered symbol, as you're saying, you would stand yourself. It's a, a sacred symbol to many Americans. What would you advise, say, some folks who are rich and powerful, whether they're in the NFL or anywhere else in life, how would you say go about changing and changing people's hearts and minds? Because it's such a, a divisive issue, an emotional issue for folks that you find that if you criticize one officer, sometimes the police all stand together and say you're criticizing them all. If you criticize and say maybe this one person at the time was being uh, acting in a dangerous manner and it scared an officer and they acted. It's almost like we take these individual violent events and we try to make national policy out of it. And I don't see is that it, it's not changing anything for the better. How would you say go about uh, reforming the nation's laws or at least starting the conversation? Sure. You know, just like we watched the young lady, the nurse that was in Utah, who was you know, explain to the officer their policy and the agreement that they had with the police department. The fact that, you know, the patient was unconscious and they did, he didn't have a warrant, mm. so there's no way that she can take that person's blood. That's, you know, that's not unconstitutional. She couldn't do it. So just like, you know, people stood with her, they need to find it within themselves to stand with these other people that have actually been found in the same position. You know, an officer was wrong. He needs to be punished for that. And what we need to do is we actually need to have um, we need to have an independent organization, an independent group, actually investigate these shootings or these incidents. And that's what we need to have. Until we have that, then we're, we're going to be in the same problem. When you have police associations that are investigating themselves, we came and we investigated ourselves. We found that we didn't do anything wrong. And that is what the problem is going to be. And that's you're going to have these situations here. Now, the fact that they're they're kneeling, they're taking the knee for the anthem, that's being noticed. If they didn't take the knee and they did something else, it probably would not have been noticed. Right. People will say, well, why don't they do something different? Right. Well, the fact that you're noticing this and you have a problem with this, then acknowledge what the issue is. The issue is not the national anthem. The issue is not standing for the anthem. The issue is not saluting the anthem or singing the anthem. The issue is police accountability. We need to address that, and then I, we, we can bring this country together. Absolutely, and I, I see it as many officers are trying to do the right thing, do the best job they can. One thing that is happening is a lot of officers are very young, 
they don't necessarily have the training. And I've heard sheriffs and other police officers talk about that openly, that maybe we're sending in people alone too often. Maybe we need more things like body cameras. I very much agree with you in terms of having an independent investigative unit or board or whatever you want to call it. Because, you know, the funny thing thing you say that, you know, we can see things, you know, clear as day on on someone's cell phone. And they still would come back and say not guilty or the grand jury will no build them. Where do you think we can change? Because it seems like folks either make a decision before even investigating it. Whenever folks start asking me on the air what I think of this or that case, I'm like, I'm doing talk radio all day for six, seven hours a day. I'm not sitting on the grand jury. I'm not sitting here actually able to comb through facts, look at law. And yet we always in the court of public opinion, people are quick to take sides and I'm trying to figure out how we create a space for understanding, uh, create a space for starting the conversation, because so often people are talking past one another. They're not even trying to understand one another, and they're trying to find a fight. Uh, when you, again, when you reach out to folks, and especially as the role you were playing, you started off by saying, I'm an African-American, I'm a black guy, I lean conservative or Republican, I'm also gay. I'm sure you find folks that maybe don't want to associate, or I hear that and I say, I do. I do want to associate. That's awesome. (laughs) But how do you, you know, because you don't fit into the usual political mold, reach out to folks when they maybe are, you know, hesitant? Absolutely. You you can't fit me into a, I can't fit into a box. There's no way you're going to, you know, put me in this camp or that camp or this camp over here uh, because it's just not going to fit me at all. But one thing I do know, is I'm Michael Cargill. I carry three guns with me at all times. I carry two guns concealed, and sometimes I open carry one gun. I carry three different calibers. I know that all my guns will defend everything that I believe that's in the Constitution. Amen to that. Well, we have to take a break here, a short break here, Michael. But as I was telling you off air, I always do an album of the day. And today's album is actually, again, folks, it is something I actually listened to this morning on vinyl because I've become this hipster type. And this is from 1976, Johnny Taylor. The album is Eargasm. And the song taking us out is Please Don't Stop. That song from playing. Coming back, we'll talk more with Michael Cargill. This is a fantastic conversation. We'll be right back. Joey Clark. Uh, welcome back to the program. You are listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Again, the album of the day. Bring us back in. Johnny Taylor, Eargasm from 1976. This track is called It Don't Hurt Me Like It Used To. I love this song. It was a good little heartbreak song for me after I got over all that. Now, Michael, I wanted to pose to you because you're 
big into music. You were engaged in music when you were in the military. If you had to pick one album to put on vinyl, and that's all you could listen to for the rest of your days, I know this is a silly question, but it's like, what do you love? Which album would it be? You know, I, re- I really like uh, What's Going On by uh, Marvin Gaye. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And then that would that would be my first one. Okay. And believe it or not, I, I apologize to everyone out there that know me. I really apologize, but I really like John Philip Sousa. I love marches. Yeah. I love military marches. I was a... When I was in the military, I was in the Army band, and I actually was an instructor at the Armed Forces School of Music. So I taught all your 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 Army, your Navy, and your Marines how to march in a military style band. And so I love marches. I you know I know when the marches is coming to the end. I know we're getting re- we're getting to the crescendo. I just I love marches, you know. <laughs> well, and John Philip Sousa, it is such a, a uniquely American sound, too. Like, it, it, like you don't, I don't think I, I mean, he had his own instrument, the sousaphone. Like, it's, Absolutely. it is, uh, I love that answer, because you caught me off guard. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm this, you know, young hipster who loves old soul and funk music. I, when you said Marvin Gaye, by the way, I was with my roommate last night, and we got watching, uh, what what is it? The uh, Tammy Show. It came out in '64. The Teenage uh, Music International, and it's the first time. It's well known because it was the first time James Brown was ever on television. And as I watched that, you know, that segment with James, I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've seen in months. But Marvin Gaye, a young Marvin Gaye without the goatee, was on there, and that led me to watching this documentary called Watt Stacks. It was filmed in 72, I believe. And it was uh, oh, yeah. after the seven years after the Watts riots. And I really was just wanting to watch the Staple Singers and Respect mm. Yourself and all oh, that. Yeah. But then I, I ended up watching the whole documentary, and things have changed a lot. But in some ways, they haven't changed that much. That, you know, there is... It's a, It amazed me. I, I kind of... Am speechless about it, but I'm sitting there watching the context of the conversation going on today, saying, "Wow, it's a whole other world." Like I was saying earlier, that people don't understand, and I think music has a way of bringing people together, and we find things in common with music. And I have to say, uh, last night I was worried I almost committed a treasonous act because over the weekend <laughs> I was. Um, I was listening to this one album, and I ended up pledging groove allegiance to the United Funk of Funkadelica. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's all right here in the United States where we're, where we're free. Um, you said you're involved in the local music scene a little bit there in Austin, Texas. I know it's a famous scene. Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually, well, I used to be really good friends with B.B. King, and I'm still good friends with the B.B. King band and the band members. So I actually have a radio show that I do myself. Oh. And I actually will get them, you know, on the show, you know, at least once a year to talk about B.B. King. And it's 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 amazing, you know, because he was a wonderful person. And what people don't understand with that band is when they performed, they didn't know what songs they were going to play at all. So when B.B. King got on stage, he would tell a story, he would talk, and then he would hit a couple of notes, 
and the band had to catch on exactly what song he was going to play. And so that's just how good the band is. And that's, you know, man, I tell you, it's just music is a, is a wonderful thing. Well, and blues is, oh, it, you know, now you got me wanting to just talk about music because I, <laughs> I fell in love. My first two loves in life were Led Zeppelin and Prince. And I, with Zeppelin, I was like, okay, who did Zeppelin steal from? Um, and I started to go back to, like, Robert Johnson, Albert King, Howlin' Wolf, B.B. King, all these old blues players. You know, and you see, you see where Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones got all their stuff. Um, and I love all of that. And then I sort of progressed into the soul and funk. And it's it's what I listen to all the time. You know, I like classic rock too, of course. I will dabble in a little bit of country, but I always go back to that music because it. I'm I keep trying to figure out what does freedom sound like. What do people that are yearning for freedom sound like? And yeah, we it can come out in all sorts of different ways, but it's that that sort of longing. I love hearing folks who maybe are having a rough go, and that's what the blues is all about. Sort of put it out there in song. It's cathartic. It will probably sound like a 1812 overture. What it probably sound like. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you. Uh, Alabama is a pretty much open carry state, and there are reciprocity laws when it comes to firearms between Alabama and Texas. And there is one weird rule now here in Alabama where even if you aren't concealed carrying, you can't have that firearm in the car with you unless you transport it. Like, the ammunition has to be separated from it. It's some weird thing where it kind of makes open carry. If you can't have it on you, what's the point? But right. recently laws were loosened up in Texas, and you were... I watched some news report that happened a few years ago where you walked around, and this reporter followed you. And shocking, it, did you have any trouble? No, and it's, it's funny you ask that because I did two different types of walks. The one that I did with the, the reporter that you saw, I was wearing what I normally wear. I always wear, people always see me, they know me as the black guy that's in that red shirt mm. and the black pants. So I was wearing that. And then the day before, on New Year's Day, I actually wore a black hoodie. And I was open carrying my handgun because I wanted to know how people would act. And I actually drove a red Corvette. I dressed up in all black, and I had my hoodie on, and I was open carrying my uh, SIG uh, 1911. Hmm. And I open carried that around Austin, went to a bunch of different places, went to the Capitol, went to the Capitol grounds. I actually snuck up behind a, a reporter, and she didn't even know who I was for a good two or three minutes. And then, you know, after that, she realized, oh, wow, Michael Cargill, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and so <laughs> cause people are so used to seeing me in the red shirt and the black pants. You know, but I did do it both ways. And when I did it with the reporter, you know, we went to a bank. I open carry in the bank. So I wanted people to see, you know, and, and the reason that I did this is because whenever laws change, the problem is law enforcement don't find out. You know, their laws change all the time and there's so many different laws that are on the books. And so it's hard for police officers to actually keep up. So by me doing this, I said, I'm going to put myself on the forefront and I'm going to do this because I want everyone to see that it's okay, and I want, you know, to set the example. So I opened carried in the bank. I went on the, the city bus, and I opened carried my handgun on the city bus. I went to the airport, and I opened carry in the airport at the ticket counter. I went over to the, the um, you know, where the, <laughs> to get, you know, the luggage. I went over to the rental car place at the, 
you know, to rent a car, right. and open carry there. I want everyone to see that, you know, the law's in effect now, and this is actually normal, and we can actually do this. And so that actually helped the entire state of Texas by people seeing that. They saw that, okay, well, wow, you could do this in this place, you can do this in this place. And so someone called me up yesterday, and they said, man, Mike, because of, you know, that news story that you did, and it aired in just about every news station in Texas, because of that, I saw, you know, I see, you know, I saw this little tall black guy walked into this restaurant with five or six police officers, and they didn't even sit up, lift an eye, bat an eye, or do anything. They just continued to eat, didn't even look at the guy, didn't pay attention to him. And it was like, it was no big deal. Right. You know, because, you know, he's a guy that's carrying a handgun in a holster. So that's not the guy you need to be concerned about. The guy you need to be concerned about is the one that's walking into the restaurant that's firing shots. That's right. the one you need to be concerned about. Yeah, and I guess it could be called menacing. It could be, you know, I think there's an old phrase called a frightening. But have you ever, as a dealer, turned somebody away? Because, you know, obviously, you know, you do a background check as a licensed dealer and maybe something comes up. But have you ever gotten a vibe from somebody where you said, oh, this is, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell you a gun. <laughs> yeah, we've actually have done that. We've done that quite a few times. My clerks, you know, I'm not always in the guns, gun room where the guns are sold and stuff like that. So, but we use a code word, just one word that we can alert everyone that works here. There's a problem. There's an emergency. We need to kick a plan into place. So if my staff uses the code word, at that point, we're not going to sell the gun to that person. It's all about how we're going to get that person out of here. So, you know, when that, when the code word goes out, you know, we just have to figure out, you know, what we're going to do. We're going to call the police, going to hit the sound alarm. And we've actually only had to hit the sound alarm only one time. And that was a guy that actually was really out there. He actually was standing in the middle of the gun store talking really loud, mm. get really soft, talk really loud, get really soft. And then he actually got to a certain point. He said that he was going to go to the hospital that was a one block away from where we are. And he was going to take these guns with him and go down to the hospital to shoot and kill everyone at the hospital. Whoa. And so... <laughs> We hit had to hit hit the sound alarm in that situation. You get the police here immediately to make sure this guy got some help. Absolutely, and I've, I believe I've heard you in some other interviews talk about how you know every time there's a you know say a shooting, some of these like shootings at the theater or school, you know folks immediately want to go to gun control measures that wouldn't have stopped the tragedy. But the focus really should be on on mental health on people's, I guess, capability to be responsible with a firearm. Right. It should be uh, focused on exactly what you just said, mental health and also parenting. Hmm. Because in all these situations, you go to the family, you go to the parents, and they say, you know what? I knew something was wrong with him. You know, we knew something was wrong with him, but she didn't get him any help or anything like that. So it's either parenting, you know, or mental health. You know, because I know, you know, everyone knows that one person that's in the family that's crazy probably shouldn't have any firearms. You know, we know that person. Right. You know, you know exactly who that person is. So we, we all need to do our part to make sure they don't get their hands on, on firearms or anything else. Because it doesn't have to be a gun. It can be anything. Right. Uh, just like we saw in, you know, in, in West Virginia, it could be a car. It could be anything. So it doesn't matter. Now, with a uh, new Republican administration have you seen a drop in gun sales because the democrats do a, a wonderful job marketing for gun dealers um now i guess my serious question is where do you see say some of the federal gun laws going under the trump administration 
Well, for one, hopefully, well, to answer your first question, no, there has not been a drop in gun sales. Good. Uh, so that's, <laughs> yeah, and, and of course, yes, if there was a Democrat in office, gun sales would be through the roof. <laughs> you know, they, the numbers would, you know, hit a hit the so-called glass ceiling. But, you know, we have a Republican in office. And so now what I'm seeing is I'm actually seeing it's, it's kind of flipped a little bit. We're seeing more minorities, so-called minorities, right. that are actually coming to the gun store to actually learn gun safety and purchase a gun. I'm seeing more people in the, in the gay community coming into the gun store to buy guns and learn gun safety. So we're seeing a little more of that. I don't know why that's the case, but that is actually what's happening. Hmm. And then the, you, my regular customers are still buying guns like they always did. You know, they're not going off of what's happening in the news or what's happening in the media. So they're still doing what they always did before. So we have loyal, loyal customers that are still buying guns. And then what was the, the other part you said there? Well, do you expect there to be any major changes under the Trump administration, maybe loosening of the laws or any changes at all? Do you, that you sure. What we, what we hope to see, and I hope that this happens actually this year, it has to happen this year. Because here's what I like to remind people of what happens. Whenever a certain party controls the, the White House, that same party controls the House, that same party controls the Senate, one of those flip. Either the House or the Senate is going to flip during midterm elections. And so this is how it always happens. There's nothing we can do about it. You can't say, oh, you know, Trump messed up. You know, now the House flipped to the Democrats or the, the Senate flipped to the Democrats. That's going to happen anyway. It always happens that way. You know, it happened when Obama was in the office. So it always happens that way. So what's going to happen is one of them are going to flip, and we're not going to get a chance to get anything done when it happens. What we need to do this year is we need to get the Hearing Protection Act passed. We need suppressors or silencers to come off the NFA list, the National Firearms Act list. There's no reason why silencers or suppressors, whatever you want to call them, are actually on that list. You should be able to walk into a gun store. Matter of fact, me personally, you should be able to buy one without having to walk into a gun store and get a background check. But at the bare minimum, I'll settle for walking into the gun store, getting a background check, and just walking out with a suppressor. You know, we should be able to do that. And also, we need to get concealed carry reciprocity passed. The concealed carry reciprocity, what that is, that's so that your handgun license, whatever state that you live in, their handgun license will be recognized in every single state, just like your driver's license. That needs to pass. And that needs to happen this year. If the House or the Senate flips, we're not going to get this done. We actually had the uh, legislative director, executive director for the NRA on these airwaves um, earlier this week talking about exactly that reciprocity law nationwide. And I think that would help a great deal. For instance, I had a, a friend who bought several firearms at a gun show here in Alabama. Then he moved with his girlfriend up to the D.C., uh, Arlington, Virginia area. And it's like, well, what am I going to do with these? And it is uh, it's. It's distressing that there can be such a patchwork, and well-meaning people can be maybe traveling across the country, and uh-oh, now I'm in a state where I can get in a lot of trouble, whereas I'm a good, upstanding citizen in Alabama or Texas. Absolutely. And for me, I'm going to stay right here in Texas. It's the only one I got. I'm going to stay here and defend it. Yeah, amen to that. I might. I like Alabama, but you, y'all have a lot going on in Texas. That is, I have to come <laughs> visit at least. <laughs> Excuse Absolutely. Me. Come on down here. We'll help you out. You know, we love to praise the Lord to pass the ammunition. 
Amen. Amen to that. Uh, now, I want to ask about a topic that some might not be uh, hip to, but 3D printing. I know this has come up where 3D printing has you know, revolutionized a lot of different industries, but there are folks that have learned or figured out a way to 3D print guns as well as you can now 3D print with uh, metals. You can actually have a gun that will fire more than once. I saw some of these early versions. What are your thoughts on this in terms of law? Should, should folks just go ahead until the Congress passes a law, until the local government or folks pass a law? Just go ahead as long as you're free to do it? Absolutely. Um, I'm actually very good friends with Cody Wilson. Okay. Uh, Cody Wilson is the founder uh, of Defense Distributed. Uh, when it comes to, he's the one that actually introduced 3D printing of firearms to the to the world, for that matter. And so, he actually he actually has another device out there where you can mill your own firearm. You can actually take an eighty percent lower receiver, eighty percent. Anyone can own an eighty percent lower receiver. You don't need a background check for that. You can buy an eighty percent and have that mailed to your house. Okay, so that's legal. It's not considered a firearm. So you can be a convicted felon and have an 80% lower receiver mailed to your house. Now, when you get that, you know, the defense distributed uh, wonderful product there, when you get that product and you mill yourself an 80% lower and turn that into a 100% lower receiver, then, you know, it, you can actually, that's the one thing that, that's the problem. You know, we have universal background checks. So with universal background checks, the anti-gun community was able to pass universal background checks. What would happen is people that did something 20 or 30 years ago would never be able to own a firearm. You know, you would never be able to own one because you didn't need to go through a background check even for a private sale. We don't have that right now, and we don't want that. So with a milling machine, you can be a convicted felon. You can actually be at home, and you can mill yourself. An 80% lower, turn into the 100% lower receiver, and have an AR-15 at home. You can build it right there in your living room if you want to. Uh, but you, as a convicted felon in Texas, I can't speak of every every single state out there, but in Texas, you can actually, you know, have a firearm at home for personal protection, even as a convicted felon after you're off of paper. You don't have any other, you know, you know, probation or anything like that. Okay, it, and it's fascinating technology. I encourage folks to go look up Cody Wilson and Defense Distributed and actually uh, read several, it had to be a year or two ago, there's this, um, some journalist for Wired tried to do this himself. And it's, unless you're a gun craftsman, it can be a bit difficult, but you're saying that Cody or Defense Distributed has created a product that makes this a bit easier? Absolutely, it's called the Ghost, Gun, Ghost Gunner 2. The Ghost Gunner 2, check it out. Google it, Ghost Gunner 2, and you can actually order that um, machine, order the milling machine, have it shipped to your house. You can order it from us, and by the way, we accept Bitcoin for that. We'll talk about that here in a second. You can order from, you know, order it straight to your house, or you can order from Defense Distributed, and then you can make yourself an AR-15 right there at home. Wow. Well, and we really only have three minutes left, so you are... I mean, you're very hip to Bitcoin, and you're enthusiastic Absolutely. about it. I am too. <laughs> yes, I'm. So I'm hip in cryptocurrency. Uh, I believe in. We need to, be, you know, we need to take that power away from the banking system. Right now, the banking system, you know, the whole thing about it is they think that they're too big to fail. 
well, you know what? We need to take that power away from them, put the power back to the people. And so we need to control our own fees, control our own money, and treat Bitcoin, treat cryptocurrency just like it's a, a currency of another current country. So, you know, you have this currency of another country, and you want to either take your dollar and trade it in to get that currency. It's just that something that's not printed out. It's not something that you put in your hands. It's something that you have in, you know, in an app on the phone is all it is. And that's how you, you know, how I can explain uh, Bitcoin to you. Yeah, it's uh, essentially uh, everybody has this ledger. Everybody has the record of who sent, you know, money or value to whom. And it is a remarkable technology. It is freeing up the world. And for now, a lot of the headlines talk about, okay, ransomware and a lot of these things going on. But if you look in history, folks, almost every innovation that has made this world a better place was crapped on. Oh, it won't work. Trains are dangerous. The car is dangerous. The Internet is dangerous. And, yes, they can be dangerous, just as firearms can be dangerous. But when used properly, when used by the vast majority of people, they make our lives better. And Absolutely. And all it is is just a different form of money. So don't let people scare you with that. I had people back in 2013 and 2014 that told me that I was going to go to jail because I was dealing in Bitcoin. Back then it was $200. Today it's all, it's almost $4,000 for one Bitcoin. Yeah, it, it is the best performing currency, I believe, over the last uh, few years. And it's remarkable. I actually had roommates who were mining Bitcoin, Litecoin, all sorts of other coins. They were showing me how they're doing. I'm not as tech savvy as they, but it's fascinating. And I, I had a hands-on experience uh, with it. Now, and, you know, Michael, a big part of my show has been that in order to preserve liberty and protect the liberties of this country, we have to be virtuous. And I don't mean like moralizing, but like virtue in the sense that you practice, virtue in the sense that you build up strength and, you know, prudence and temperance, a sense of justice, faith, hope, and love. But you, sir, are a badass. You have so much courage. Like, I, I just had to get that out because this has been a fantastic interview. I really appreciate uh, your time with me tonight, Michael. And folks, Michael Cargill, again, has been my guest. If folks wanted to check out what you're doing on whether it's your radio show or your gun shop, how can they find you? Yeah, just go to centraltexasgunworks.com or comeandtalkit.com. But the best way is centraltexasgunworks.com and I like to leave people with this. No matter what happens, just remember this. More guns equals less crime. So go out there and buy yourself in debt. Michael, thank you again for joining me. It's been a, thank you, so much thank fun. You for having me. Thank you, Michael. Again, folks, that was Michael Cargill. Check him out online. Incredible gentleman. And again, this guy is a badass. You've been listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Join me again tomorrow night, 6 to 7. My guest will be Brittany Hunter from the Foundation for Economic Education. Brittany has a wicked pen, and I always love talking to her. Again, thank you for listening, and everybody have a good night. Joey Clark.